Gregoire and Dan Beeston are smart enough to know better. Welcome to episode 168 of Smart Enough to Know Better, where a podcast of science, comedy, and ignorance. I'm Gregoire. I'm Dan Beeston. And in this episode of Smart Enough to Know Better, we're going to be talking to Dr. Romina Palermo about recognising faces. But before we get there, Gregoire, what has happened to you this week in science? I learned something very interesting about evolution. I thought we already knew everything that there was to know about evolution. We've been doing this podcast for a long time. (laughs) We understand evolution. There are these small changes over time that hopefully will lead to the creature having some sort of advantage that can pass on those advantages and then you get a different body shape. There's no end point. And the more that they they lean upwards, the longer their necks get. Uh, No, that's not, no, that's not what we're talking about at all. No. Not Lamarckian, we're not talking about Lamarckian evolution. That's all, stop it. We always thought that there's no body plan that is, like, we go, oh, humans are the pinnacle of evolution, and that's just not true. No one has ever said that, have they? Many, many people have said this, unfortunately, but it's it's a total crop. We're not on top of anything. Look at the, look at vocal cords. Yeah, well, yes. Vocal cords are a goddamn mess. Yeah, and and we talk, and the vagus nerve, the vagus nerve that runs so you can speak, and it runs down all the way to your heart and all the way back up, and we talked about it on the podcast before. And feet. 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 Human feet are a mess. Oh, absolutely. Hand clubs on the edge of your, edge of your legs. That's we need we need hooves down there. We, absolutely goodness. But then we destroy the grasslands. Dan. That's that's very good satire. It's oh, right, I see. Right, it's yeah, satirical. Yes, yes. It's a satirical yes. joke. No, no, yeah, no, I understand. I get it. God, I, get I love it. I love that we can edit stuff out. It's brilliant. <laughs> but I've discovered that the perfect body plan seems to be the crab. The, the crab. The crab. Bold call. Bold call. Bold call. Out of all of the creatures on the planet, you've yes. decided to go with the one that walks in a different direction to the way that it sees. But absolutely. And I'm going to look, I will put a caveat on this. I am going to say for crustaceans, just to say that it's not all not all life forms. So what you're saying is if you're a mammal that lives in the top of a tree, maybe spidery legs that go sideways, not the best uh, option. Look, may, maybe we should try it. Maybe we should try it. What I'm talking about is there are lots of different sorts of crustaceans, of course. There's, there's things like barnacles and prawns and shrimps and crabs and lobsters and crayfish and all sorts of cool things. Krill, wood lice, lots of cool things like that. I but didn't t- realise that barnacles were crustaceans. Yeah, they're all crustaceans, yes. They're all different types of crustaceans. Now, I'm talking more about what are called decapoda crustaceans. So decapoda meaning 10 feet. So that's why they're huge. They're, that's enormous. I'm terrified <laughs> to go in the ocean now. They keep yeah. telling you about sharks. They don't talk, call you about these decapodal crabs. <laughs> of course, we mean uh, animals with 10 feet, these 10-footed crabs. Because a crustaceans- foot is a ridiculous way of measuring something. And only a stupid nation would decide to measure things in feet. Yeah. For one thing, no feet on you, crab. No. no, it's, no it's, it just it's, ends in a point. It's got scuttly legs. But we're getting slightly off, off topic here. So in decapoda crustaceans... Oh, yeah, we're going to get to an interview. We have People who tuned in for the interview are like, what am I listening to? What are these idiots talking about? So there are, of course, lots of different sort of crustaceans. And in one the, the decapoda crustaceans, the one with ten legs, the body plan of the crab has evolved... Five separate times 
I don't mean there was a crab body and then the evolution radiated from the crab body. I mean, you had different sorts of animals, or different decapodic crustaceans that went, how do I want to look? What am I going to wear next millennia? I know, I'm going to look like a crab. And so they build the, the body plan of the crab. And by that, you have like a, a plate on the top. You have the, you have the arms coming up the front and you have the eight legs going down the side. I mean, it really comes down to that's, I mean, I just suddenly realized how upsetting I've just sounded to people who study this sort of thing. But basically, it comes down to three regions. There's like the head, the cephalon, the perion, the thorax, and the abdomen as well. And then legs coming off, all that sort of good stuff as well. So there's like a definite idea of what this body plan should be. But we have true crabs. So we have when you think of crabs, you go, the fact they're called true crabs seems very up Ooh, themselves. That's that's it's it, yeah, it sounds like a little bit racist. Sounds a bit racist. I know. Yeah. We're the it's true like crabs. the true crabs are like fostering some of the other crabs, going, "We'll raise you properly." Like, yeah, I don't, I don't like the sound of this true crabs at all. Yeah. No, no, so, but that's why we eat them. And then you have other ones. So the coconut crab. So the coconut crab is a terrestrial, it's a terrestrial hermit crab. It's a big bugger that comes up. It's a hermit crab that lives on the land and robber crabs or palm thieves. These are huge. He's like four kilograms. They have a crab-like body, a body structure, but they're not crabs. Well, they're not related. Sorry, they're decapodial crustaceans, but they're not true crabs. They're a separate thing. Oh, so you, we're just jumping on board with the whole crab racism thing? No. I am. Look, I'm, I'm going straight in for it. I'm, I'm, I know I've decided I'm going to raise my flag on that one. There's the hairy stone crab, and it's also a type of hermit crab as well, or at least re- not its type of hermit, but it's related to hermit crabs. So you've got this kind of, once again, another hermity crab thing. Oh, not right. a true crab, so but it has a crab-like body. We have the porcelain crabs, which are actually related more to lobsters than actual crabs. And finally, we have one called Cyclidia, which is an extinct crustacean, which also looked like what we call a true crab, but came before the true crabs. So it's really, convergent it's, evolution because they all live in a very similar environment. Yes. Or, yes, or at least evolved in, well, the water. Yeah, well, probably. I mean, who knows where, I guess, co- coconut crabs, I guess, if they're a terrestrial hermit crab. Who knows how they happen? But it seems like the decapodal crustaceans like to take on this body form that we call the crab. And what's really fun for me about this is I'm not the first person to work this out, not even close. In the early 20th century, there's a man with a wonderful name of Lancelot Alexander Borrowdale. He was around the late 19th century, early 20th century. He was an English zoologist. That sounds he, like the name of an, 18, of a 19th century English zoologist. Absolutely. He to- coined the term carcinization. And carcinization describes one of the many attempts of nature to evolve a crab. <laughs> Crabs, it's a body form that's very, very popular amongst those sort of animals. Now, this has happened elsewhere. Convergent evolution has happened. Worms, lots of different types of worms, which I thought, well, I thought a worm was a worm, but that's also a very silly idea. Won't go into it all here, but there's lots of different sorts of animals that are worm-like that aren't worms. That there are true worms, but then there are lots of animals with you know, long segmented bodies and all the rest that are not worms. But the, obviously the worm shape is useful for digging through the dirt and eating bits and pieces yeah, and surviving. You don't, you don't really want fins. No, no. You don't, or, want, or, you don't want an enormous amount of plumage if you're jutting, burrowing through the earth. Jutting spikes are very useful. Ah, having a call of jutting spikes again. You, yeah, you don't want a barb on a worm. He's not right. going anywhere. Or a big, a big open mouth that can never close when you're like digging through the dirt. Well, Dune would uh, would uh, would say that you're wrong. Well, that's okay. Aren't they? Isn't that the whole point of a worm? Is they got a big open mouth and they just eat everything in front of them and poop it out the back? 
They just sort of slide around their environment. Oh, I don't know. I thought they would get closed. The ones in June close them out. They have big. Well, the ones in all the versions I've seen, they they can they can close. On the, yeah. Otherwise, I guess eating someone in in June would look sillier if it was just like, oh, I fell in his mouth. That's okay. I climbed out. We're good. It's, I it's just bit, stayed oh, inside and waited until it got pooped out the other end. You get pooped out as as mal- the spice melange. The spice is that where melange. the spice comes from? Is it yeah, pooped yeah, yeah. out they, the back of the worm? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. Yes, they they produce the they produce the spice. I'm pretty certain. Now we're getting to look. Now we're getting to very, very far off carcinization. But you know, very soon there'll be a whole new uh, interpretation of Dune to watch. But don't we have an interview to go to? Hang on a minute. Yes. Yeah, so, all right. So let's get on with your week in science. Yes. I am not wearing any protection, Greg. I'm completely nude. I've removed the yeah. phone case from my phone. What? I don't drop my phone, Greg. In 16 years of mobile phone ownership, I have never cracked a screen. It is time to take the training wheels off. Nice. Also, phone tech is much better than it was. Uh, There's a new Apple device that even has a smash-resistant glass on its face. It's called a ceramic shield. They embed nano-ceramic crystals into the glass matrix. The crystals are smaller than the wavelength of light, with an index matched to the glass, meaning that they're totally clear. Uh, We've talked about glass before. Glass is an amorphous solid, so its atoms don't create a pattern when it solidifies. Mm -hmm. To get fragile glass, you want to cool it rapidly, so lots of internal stresses remain. To get strong glass, like the Gorilla Glass that's currently used in iPhones, you cool it slowly, and you can approach ideal glass where the alignment of the atoms is much more ordered. Now, with the ceramic shield, they melt the glass and they add a step which injects a nucleating agent into the glass, a seed. You can use silver or titanium. I'm not sure what Apple uses yet. But the glass ceramic crystals grow around the seeds, creating a much more ordered molecular structure. This also forms interlocking structures in the glass. And if the energy goes into the system, like it hits the floor and a crack starts, it's limited to the local structure rather than propagating Ah. all the way through the glass and forming a visual crack. So my phone no longer presents as a rubber children's toy. (laughs) It is smooth. It it shows the sleek, precision, plastic injection moulding of my $150 Motorola M6. (laughs) Very nice. So nice. Listen to that trusty plastic tick. (laughs) so faces are incredibly important in in the morning it's said that we we fix our faces we clean ourselves we put on our makeup and we face the world and we face off against people when we're in combative if we want to meet friendly we we meet face to face in some cultures to save face to save your honor is really really important sometimes i have arguments and make comments that are facile that's it very good uh, helen of troy is said to have a face that launched a thousand ships so obviously faces are unbelievably important to us we spend a lot of time judging people's faces and looking at people's faces we health reasons and and just because we're nasty people we like to pick on other people but what happens if you couldn't what happens when you stared at a human face your brain just went no nothing i've got nothing for you i can't even fathom that so we thought we'd get an expert to answer all these questions so please welcome to the podcast dr romina palermo an associate professor at the university of western australia hi greg and Dan, thanks for having me here. So face blindness. I don't even know how to start this interview. I can't. <laughs> what? 
How can you be blind to fa- I mean, is it literally, are they like sight impaired people? Like what's going on? Is, is it made up? What is going on here? So it is a slightly odd term, face blindness. And some people who have trouble recognising face identity don't like that term because they're not blind. Face blindness or prosopagnosia refers to people who have trouble recognising the identity of a familiar face. So they're not blind in any way. They know that the person's there. They know that it's a face. (laughs) They can see the parts of a face. They just don't get to the next stage where they know what the identity of that person is. So they're not blind in any way. So they can, so they know it's a face. So they go, ah, okay. It's not just like a, like a cubist art form or something like that. (laughs) Well, they know where it is on the body. And, And they can see lots of other things about it and lots of other, kind of how you were mentioning, there's lots and lots of other things that we get from faces. So we can recognize expressions or we can recognize things like where the person's looking, things like trustworthiness and all sorts of other cues that we get from faces. People who can't recognize identity can often do all those other things with faces. It's just the identity component that they have more difficulty with. Okay, now my mind is doubly blown. I thought I knew (laughs) nothing and now I realize I know nothing on nothing. So even though they can't work out the identity of a face, they can work out elements, they can work out what the face is doing without knowing who the face belongs to. Yeah, in many cases, yes. Yep. So some of these things, when our brains kind of perceive them, some of them are linked. So there's some associations between figuring out an expression and identity, but some of these things aren't linked. So you don't need to know who a person is to know whether they're happy or sad. It's, some of it's kind of different. Our brains do some of this processing separately. That's what's really interesting about face blindness or prosopagnosia. It's the identity component. So it's specific to having difficulty with identity, knowing who somebody is. And are you born with this or is it like a knock on the head and you can't see faces or you can't identify faces anymore so two different ways so yeah but both of those you write about both of them initially people found out a kind of acquired prosopagnosia they were patients that had been admitted to a hospital they had had a knock on the head in various ways and when they were in there they realized that the patient couldn't recognize that you know the neurologist or their family would come in and they would you know they didn't seem to have other difficulties and they were like hold on you know why can't I recognize faces now I could do it before Mm. and so that was the acquired form and that was discovered over 100 years ago but more recently more like 20 to 30 years ago people realized that people seem to be being born with it seem to run in families that there seemed to be some kind of genetic link that some people were just really really bad at recognizing faces and it wasn't because they'd had an accident or a knock on their head there seemed to be something different about their way that their brains were wired up so you can have both ways yeah so what's going on then inside the brain? Do we understand it yet, why some people can identify faces and some people can't? We know more than we did before. So if Hooray, you... science! That's yeah. a good direction for learning to go. <laughs> <laughs> if you look at somebody with, a, with a, an acquired lesion, so there are a few people that have prosopagnosia and still seem to be able to recognise objects and they can do everything else, that's totally fine. In those people, you will see bigger kind of lesions. So if we do take like a, a scan of someone's brain, you will be able to see there is the damage that was caused. So that's in the acquired cases. In the what we call congenital or developmental prosopagnosia, so the one that seems to be happening from when people are very young, maybe from birth, you don't see those kind of differences in someone's brain. So I can't take a brain scan of somebody at the moment and say, okay, well, this is a person that's got face blindness and this Mm. is a person that doesn't see that spot over there. There's nothing quite like that. 
what we might see is some differences in some of the connections might be a, a bit different. There might be less connections or they might not be as strong. So there seems to be subtle differences in the parts of the brain that are involved in recognising face identity. And lots of the brain is involved in recognising faces and, and because it's so, so important to us. So there's no part of the brain that you would point at and say, this is the face recognition lump of the brain. It's a system of bits and pieces all working as a parallel group. Yeah, so there are, lot, there are lots of components. So when we recognise faces, information comes in through our eyes and that part gets connected to the back of our brain, which does all of our vision. And there's particular parts in that kind of occipital lobe that are particular to faces. That's called the occipital face area. And then it starts to move forward in the brain. And so then there's another area called the fusiform face area. And these seem to be particularly important. Uh, so when you do studies looking at faces, you will see that these parts of the brains are used. And then we start to move uh, more and more forward and we get connections with um, parts of the brain that are involved in remembering semantic information about people. So what are the names of people? What might their occupations be? Who else might they know? So you start then building these links of the information about people and what you know. So it wouldn't be a, a sort of a binary thing of you either have this or you don't. You could sort of have it in, could you have it in discrete chunks? So we know that face recognition ability is along a continuum. Uh -huh. So uh, there are people who we would say would be face blind or prosopagnosic who would be down one end and quite poor. There are then a bunch of people who would have, inter you know, kind of slightly poor face skills. A whole bunch of people who are average, which is most of us, people who are slightly better than average, and then people on the other end who have been called super recognisers, who oh. have amazing face skills and who various police forces have tried to co-opt and help them do forensic identification. So this would tie into when I run into someone at a supermarket and I'm looking at them and part of my brain is yelling at me going, hey, I, I think you know that person, but it takes until I work out the context that I know them in for that information to make sense. Yeah. Absolutely. So the context is for many people crucial. So you've got that first step, you've got that familiarity, and then you're kind of trying to put together the pieces. Somebody with prosopagnosia wouldn't get that sense of familiarity out of context. So they wouldn't get that. So they wouldn't be trying to figure out who that person might be. They'd just be walking past them. And the difference would be that it not only would be somebody, for you it might be somebody that you see infrequently or you know don't know very well. For somebody with prosopagnosia, that might be their mum. So, wow. you know, out of context, even someone really, really familiar, they don't get that information. They need all the other extra facial cues of expecting that person to be in context or wearing something particular or that person stopping them and having a conversation and then them putting the pieces together. So that's what they're missing. My father had a very bad accident and now he walks like a drunken sailor. And so I recognize he has this kind of gait that he looks like he's on a rolling ship. And I, I can recognize him from hundreds of meters away because of the way he walks. And I know it's my, no one else walks like my father anymore. And so could a pros, uh, prosopagnosic be able to recognize my father's gait and know it's my father, even though they don't understand or can't identify him by his face? Or do they lose that identity as well? No, absolutely. They'll be able to do it on the gate as well. Yeah, so they would... Interesting. That's okay. That's, so it's only faces. It's literally just the face identity that goes away. Yeah, so it's just the faces. There is a bit of an argument amongst researchers about whether people are still really good with expressions or there is a little bit of a decrement there or also with other objects. 
So they would be fine at telling apart things like, you know, chairs and tables and things like that. But if you had to do really fine discriminations between objects, there's a bit of a debate about whether or not people with face identity problems might have difficulty identifying other objects or not. But that's still uh, something that's It's like going on. down to Bunnings and going through and having your partner going, well, which, which, which one of these six whites should we paint in? And you're like, <laughs> yeah. what are you talking about? Yeah, 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 I, yeah very much so. <laughs> and as a colourblind person, I think you've all just been leading me on for years. I don't believe there is eggshell versus duck egg blue, and it's all rubbish. It's all, I just think it's it's the world's largest practical joke on me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, colourblindness is a good example of another a developmental disorder where people can't make these subtle discriminations between something and it, something genetic, something that people have. Um, and often people who are colourblind won't know. They just think that everybody else sees the world in the same way. And so the same with people who have face blindness is that, you know, they don't know that other people aren't recognising faces or failing to recognise faces until some point in the future when something clicks or, or other people have told them, no, no, you don't do this the way that we do it. Mm. Wow. I know that Dan Harmon, who's the writer for Community and Rick and Morty, says that he has prosopagnosia. And I've got no reason to doubt him. And he was talking about how when he became famous, things became even more complex because people would come up and start talking to him like they knew him. But there was nothing that he was getting back to go, this is a person who's really familiar to me or this is a fan who thinks they have a relationship with me because they've seen me on the telly and in podcasts and stuff. Yeah, I think it does get even more difficult for famous people. And there are a number of really famous people who said that they have prosopagnosia. One thing is there whether they feel like they have prosopagnosia or whether they've actually <laughs> been tested to have prosopagnosia mm. because there aren't that many people in the world who actually will give people a battery of tests to, to give them an indication of how bad they are. There's not necessarily a one-to-one correspondence between how bad or good you feel and how you actually you know, score on, on tests of face recognition. But I do think that having a lot of people who know you that you might not know, I think it can make it feel a lot worse, just exactly how you were ex- describing, Dan, in that there's there's this massive pool of people and it's much, much harder than for you if, if you have trouble with faces to be able to put these people into groups and to kind of narrow down who they might be. So they're going curly hair, moustache, wearing a cartoon on the T-shirt. That <laughs> yeah. could be my brother or it could be a yeah. hundred other people. Yeah, yeah. But what's interesting then, though, is that even though we've said, you know, they can use things like gait, you know, they'd be able to use, you know, if it was Greg's dad, you could use the gait or you could use distinctive clothing and things like that. That stuff doesn't happen instantaneously. So when you can recognise faces... And if it's someone pretty familiar, you're doing it pretty quick, right? It's not like a, a big pause where you're like, no, wait, is this my mom or is this my is this my cousin? It's not a you know, it's not a big thing. But you do it subconsciously. You, you walk into yeah. a room full of people and you're like, oh, I know them. Yeah, like through yeah, with a absolutely. dozen or two dozen people, so you you can sort of yeah. part of your brain is like looking for your social group, the people that you know. Yeah, and for the people who can't do that, they have to use the other cues, and they take longer. So it takes longer to work with the voice. It takes longer to piece together the context. And it's not related to somebody's IQ. So it's not like, Mm. you know, they have general deficits. You know, some of the people that have trouble recognising faces are amazingly smart. Oliver Sacks, who was a neurologist, Mm. had, you know, Mm. horrible trouble with faces and, and, you know, no trouble with any of his, you know, other cognitive abilities. He did Um, rather well, yes. (laughs) Yeah, although he did have trouble with finding his way topographically, finding places as well. So uh, there is ma- for some people there's a connection between face identity and place finding, and he was atrocious at both of them. 
Well, hmm. so as in visualizing the, the the map and the topology of the environment, or of recognizing destinations, or both. So finding your way around. So for some people, and he was one, so in one of his books he describes his trouble with faces and his trouble with places. Uh, he just he would just get lost. He in fact sometimes he would find trouble he would have trouble finding his own apartment. He just yeah, <laughs> just couldn't find uh he just couldn't get them the I guess the maps that now we use Google Maps for. He mm. just couldn't mm. keep that in mind. Yeah. So when you're like, like imagine visualize a uh, British township, they're all they've all got hedges, they've all got the same sort of houses. But I guess it's the subtleties of shapes that you're getting that allow you to understand which part of the street you're in. Is that the sort of part of the brain that's not firing then? A little bit, and and the ones to do with places. So there are, just like I was saying, there are parts of the brain that seem to be really tuned to to faces and face identity. There are parts of the brain that seem to be really tuned to places and and spatial topography. So even though the brain works together to do many things, there are some specialised components that seem particularly important for places, some that seem particularly important for faces, and they're close together in the brain. So it's possible that some of the connections between both of them don't work in some people. But it's definitely not the case for all people with um, prosopagnosia mm. or face. Some of them have no difficulty at all um, being able to find their, pl- their way around. So would it be less likely for someone with prosopagnosia to see Jesus in a piece of toast than us, <laughs> for instance? <laughs> a, a good question, a good question. So... I would say no, that they would be equally likely to. So so if we talk about the stages of of faces and what's involved, face detection would be the first thing. And so my argument would be that people who have prosopagnosia have no trouble detecting faces. It's not like you don't know that a face is there. It's just that the identity stage later on would be (laughs) trouble. So I would say you could could still find faces in clouds and in toasts and things like that. But, uh, yeah, I would would still say that. I love the idea that, that someone's sitting there and they find everyone else like it's Jesus and a piece of toast, but they sit there and go, "Why is um, why is why is Ganesh in my piece of toast?" And they're like, <laughs> "It's the wrong face." Like they wouldn't know; they couldn't identify the face. They'd be like, "That's weird." I'm, I'm, Ganesh, the weird. elephant god. Look, I, look, I, look I, I, I just picked the name. <laughs> like, I, surely there are context clues that someone with prosopagnosia could differentiate between Jesus and Ganesh, the elephant god. Just look, I'm not... The gate, for, for I, one. I, of course, that's right, yes. No, look, I was actually going to bring that up about finding, and this might be getting out of your area of study, Dr. Romina, of course, but humans are really good at finding faces just in everywhere, two dots on a line, and we go, that's a face. Yeah. You know, we, and we, we just go, that's a face, that's a face, that's a face. We find faces and things in clouds and in trees, and now this is just my totally non-scientific theory, but this led to a lot of early, early you know, nature religion of, of well, this is literally the old tree with a face. So that's a God or that's a spirit. And I, I just wonder if there's any research into that sort of stuff about finding faces in things. There is actually. Finding things in, in inanimate objects is called pareidolia, but people are really actually really interested in it to do with faces. There's evidence that monkeys can do it as well. So monkeys will see these kinds of things, uh, yeah, in clouds and trees and stuff like that as well. People do study it. It's really interesting. I don't know if I've seen anything on the, the question of whether it's related to a kind of religious things or not, but, uh, yeah, but definitely there's some studies on it. So it looks like it's very related to the eyes and the mouth. So 
if you can find a, the eyes and the mouth in something, then you, you will see it. And especially if I show you like a jumble of features, if they look like a face beforehand, if you see something, you'll then, you know, be more quickly, to, you'll see a, a face in the next kind of jumble of features. Our visual systems are set up to find faces. We don't want to miss them. Like Dan was saying, you know, when we go into a crowd, you're like, where are my people? Where are the people that I know? Where are the faces? Who uh, won't and murder from, me? That's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who will murder for from, me? You know, from, from birth, studies on newborns, and they're, they're primed to find the faces. You know, they'll look towards a face more quickly than a, a, an upright face than an inverted one. We're set up to be social and to look for things like faces. Mm. Now, this is I was thinking about this in a racism sense. And if you're stuck in a culture where people who look a lot like you, that's all you ever see. I've read somewhere that it's actually harder to recognize people who don't look like you, it's people of different colors and different cultures and backgrounds. And I was and people kind of get like the example, people go, oh, you think all black people look alike if you're a white person. I've heard that being said. And what is that part of it as well? The face recognition, you get better at seeing similar faces compared to other faces. There definitely is a relationship with experience. Even though there's this genetic component and there maybe there's an innate component, your face system develops over time. So you get better from birth to, you know, for identity up until like 30. And you, you improve a lot as a, as a child and, you know, as an adolescent, but you're still kind of improving a bit up until age 30. Mm. Now, what you're doing is dealing with the faces that you generally experience. So if you live in a very culturally specific area where you see same, you know, the same types of faces, your system is tuned to be able to tell those similar types of faces apart. So you will, you know, you'll be good at that because even though we seem to do it really easily, it's actually a really hard task. They're actually fairly similar looking. So that means that then if you see faces of another race that you have no experience with, your system isn't tuned to that. It's like getting a, it's like a new language to you. You mm. don't, you can't tell apart the difference and how they're saying the, you know, the vowels and things like that. You need experience with it and you might need experience at a certain point of your development. Uh -oh. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so that's why, you know, when people say, oh, they all look alike to me. If you've grown up in Perth, you might say, oh, all people from, a, you know, that country, they all look alike to me, but they mm. say, the same thing about you so it's not about anything innately racist it's mm. just the fact that your system hasn't got the experience with those faces to be able to tell them apart so the way to get over that then is to travel the world and see different people or at least go on the internet and see lots of people and tell them apart so it's and not enough to apart. just have exposure to the faces your system needs to be able to doing the, the the hard job of being able to say this one's Dan and this one's Greg and this mm. one's you need to tell them apart because otherwise it's just it's just a general explosion of faces but you need to do the identity part and you yeah you might need to do it at a certain time. Mm. Again, this is a it's an area of debate. There are some people that do find that there are some kind of social categorization in group out group aspects that could exacerbate these things and in particular countries more more than others. So I would say if you look at US data, there definitely is a difference between recognizing white faces and African American faces between people. Oh, interesting. So is recognizing someone's voice a part of the toolbox of someone with prosopagnosia? Yes. 
Yeah, so they would use the voice. We all can, we all, you know, use voices in different ways, but it seems to be more difficult to be able to just recognise somebody from the voice. There's also lots of individual differences in that. So some people are better at it, some people are worse. But it's interesting. So for those of us who are old enough to remember phones before, now on a mobile phone, you know, comes up with who it is. (laughs) Um, But for those who are old enough, you know, you used to answer your phone in your house and somebody would start talking to you and you had to go through, you know, who are they, you know, who could these people be? Mm-hmm. And it never seemed as instantaneous as looking at somebody's faces, you know, face mm-hmm. and, and you did need to use that context and what they were saying to you if they, if they didn't say who they were. I get that I sensation it- when I watch animated films because I'm like, oh no, I know the voice. I know the voice of this character and, it's yeah. gonna, and I'm not going to be able to enjoy the film for the next 90 minutes because I'm going to be desperately trying to figure out who it is. Yeah, that happened. That happened with me watching Bob's Burgers for the first time when I was like, "Why is the voice of Archer coming out of this fry cook's <laughs> mouth?" And, and from the and I was like, "Because Archer is a very specific character from the TV show Archer." And yeah. I was and suddenly this character speaking very similarly, but he's acting. And I was like, "No, I don't like this at all." But it turns out it's actually a great show. That's a different thing. Uh, <laughs> very, very yeah, strange. well, we, I mean, some of this comes down to apps and, and you know, computer recognition. You know, we kind of need a, a Shazam app for you know being able to recognize voices. <laughs> Oh, that's TV. a great idea. Yeah. Oh, yeah. my goodness. Dr. Romina, you've just made a million-dollar idea there. So we, we're in a situation where lots of people are now wearing masks. I, I assume people with are, are sort of suddenly discovering how much they're using people's noses and mouths for recognition. Yeah, no, it's actually quite interesting. Not not such a thing in Perth, but there definitely are people who've done some studies on this and overseas. So uh, one of the things that we think we do with faces is you kind of use the whole face. So you don't just recognise somebody from their eyes or just from their nose. Um, when you cover up half the face with a mask, you're losing half of that information. Mm. So. It is more difficult for people to recognise people with masks on, and it is also more difficult for people to recognise emotions with masks on. Again, you know, in some cases, that's even more so. So if you think about, you know, smiling, that's gone. I don't know if you know heard of people saying, "Oh, you have to smile with your eyes now," and things like yes. that. And so, yeah. no, I don't. I, I, I think a lot of people are not finding things to smile about. No, you so. put your mask on, and that's it. It's all over. So, yeah. yeah. If you if you live in a part of the world that has niqabs, let's say, so you're covering a lot of the face, like a lot of women wearing niqabs. Do the people in those countries, do their brains attune themselves to only look at the eyes to work out who it is? Is it Are they better at that sort of thing? I have to say there's not a lot of research on that, mm-hmm. but my feeling would be that they're doing the same thing but they're doing it indoors. So my understanding is that indoors, they're not, you know, people's faces aren't covered. They're using the same face processes, but they're using them, you know, indoors rather than outdoors. If you were trying to recognise somebody outside covered, I'm not sure you could even do it from the eyes. You might be doing it from the gate or you might be doing it from their partner who is with them. Yes, who's not not covered, yes. No, so I would say that you're probably doing things like that more than trying to figure out from, you know, somebody's eyes or or maybe their hands, maybe they have distinctive rings or jewellery or fingernails or, you know, things like that. But, uh, yeah, I dare say if you can't see much of the face, you're not going to use it. We're very clever. I all the things you just pointed out there, and I just love the fact that instinctively we can kind of go, all right, I've lost this information, but I'll, I'll look at this information, this information, this information. I'll work this out. Our brain doesn't give up quickly. No, no, yeah, yeah. It's, it knows what's going on and it's looking for the information, even if we don't consciously know what it's doing, yeah. Hmm. So are there any 
weird side effects of having this condition, like, for instance, uh, optical illusions that just don't work or something, anything like that? Not that I know of. Anecdotally, people will tell you various things, but none that anyone said, okay, well, this seems to be an association other than so far the topographical one. One is something to do with imagery. If I ask you to imagine the face of one of your parents, some people can do that really well and some people can do that really clearly. For some people with prosopagnosia, not only can they not recognise a face when it's in front of them, but they also can't imagine the face in front Mm. of them. Mm. So they would have difficulties with facial imagery. And for some people, that, again, is restricted to faces. So they can imagine objects and other things, but they can't imagine faces. I learned recently there are some people who can't visualise objects at all. Yeah, yeah. So that's called aphantasia, and there's sort of lots of people that just don't do visual that's imagery. That's a Disney movie, by the way. With Mickey Mouse, <laughs> he gets magical powers, and then there's like a like a, the Hall of the Mountain King, and it's great. I love that. I grew up with yeah. that. Oh, I don't Sorry. see yeah. it myself. Uh, <laughs> very nice. But I think you know, what's so interesting is all of these things just show how different people are and that you don't really know what's going on in somebody else's mind. People are really different. I think there's much people are much more accepting now about neurodiversity, but that these things aren't all necessarily disorders, that we're just really different and people have different things that, you know, different abilities and different things that they're not good at. But so if somebody can't recognize faces, it makes some allowances for that person. It's not that they're not a nice person, you know, when they don't say hello to you. They're just not good at that, just like some people aren't good at, you know, reading or, or various other things. So You know who doesn't make allowances for it? <laughs> I'm watching this German TV series at the moment called Dark and uh-huh. it's all the same tone and everyone wears the same <laughs> colour clothes and they seem to expect that you're watching it really actively rather than American yeah. shows where yeah. you could kind of vaguely check in and every yeah. single scene there they make some reference to the relationships in the scene so that you yeah. know who's talking to who. I'm having such a tough time working out who's who in this show. Yeah, and there's definitely, so people who have trouble recognising faces, that's one of the first clues, is that they're watching TV shows and they're like, I don't know who these characters are. Like, I can't tell them apart. And so, yeah, that's a good example of kind of induced prosopagnosia for you. Yeah, I, I had that problem with uh, Game of Thrones. I had to have someone sit next to me going, okay, that's this character. They murdered that character and they're married to this character. Like, okay, thanks. That's useful now. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, I think yeah, Game of Thrones definitely needed a glossary. It did. Now, talk about super recognizers. I ran into, I think, I can't prove this, but I think I, I ran into one of these as a politician. That's a job that you probably get into as, a, as like the opposite of a prosopagnosic because this person had met me once two years and just met me out and about doing my job and then we shook hands and we did the whole politician stuff two years later this lady went oh hello yeah oh greg i went hello i'm greg so, yes we met we met um a couple of years ago you're the man who works here and does x and i sat there with my jaw on the floor she recognized my face my name and one bit of information about me and i went well that's why you're a politician and i'm not because i can't oh you're just horribly memorable <laughs> <laughs> Don't commit crimes, Greg. (laughs) Yeah, no, some people are really, really good at it. We can train ourselves to remember names. So when I teach a class of 20 people, I, you know, practice every week to try and, you know, remember people's names. So that's a bit of a skill. But the face part, people with prosopagnosia, you know, they can't practice to get better at recognising somebody's identity. But some people are just really good at it. And you can see there, though, it might have a 
influence on people's occupations. So mm. if people were bad at recognising faces, they might not choose to be a school teacher or a politician or, you know, various other jobs because they just find them really difficult. And you may not even know why it's difficult. It's just difficult for you. Probably not. Probably not. So there are a few people who have realised as adults that they're not very good at recognising faces and then look back and, and kind of said, oh, you know, what kind of impact has this had on my on my job? And one was a surgeon and he was saying, look, you know, I think it has had an impact on my job because I couldn't tell the nurses apart and I wouldn't say mm. hello to my bosses and things mm. like that. And so I still have my job, but I think people think I'm a bit of an odd character and not very <laughs> not very nice. I'm not prosopagnosic, I'm not even claiming it, but I know with my way my brain works, I meet someone and the next time I meet them, my brain goes, right, they work here, they do X, they do Y, you know them from here, blah, blah, blah. No, no name for you. And I'm like, seriously, brain, I want to say hello. And they're like, no, no, you don't get a name. And I have this like, this, almost like a notepad of all this exciting information that I know exactly about them. Can't name them. It's just my one of my weaknesses. And then after the conversation's over, the person's left, then my brain goes, by the way, their name's Romina. And you're like, God <laughs> damn it, brain. Like, I needed this an hour ago. Oh, yeah, we know. We know you needed it an hour ago. We just don't like you. And I'm like, oh, damn it. It's such yeah. a weird feeling to know them and know that you know them, but not know their name. It's yeah. frustrating. I don't Brain understand. Brains do do that. And names are a particularly difficult component. So what makes you not prosopagnosic is that you know, the, you know, you know they're familiar, you know their identity, and you know all the other information. So mm. prosopagnosic wouldn't get to that. Mm. But the names part is, is interesting in that often when people, when I, you know, we talk about face blindness or prosopagnosia, people say, oh, my gosh, yeah, I'm really bad with faces. I, can't, I can never remember anybody's name. Mm. No, 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 no. You, you've got the face. <laughs> You just, you know, it's the name part. And then, and yes. the name is really interesting in that, you know, why do people have so much trouble? So one of them, you know, is when you meet somebody and they tell you their name. If you're like me, I'm not even listening to when they tell me their name. <laughs> I'm like looking at them. I'm like, you know, trying to think of the next funny thing that I'm going to say. And then five minutes later, I'm like, wait, what was well, that? Did they tell Dan, me Dan, name? Dan, on to us. She's yeah, on to yeah. us. Absolutely <laughs> Sorry, what? And so then, yeah. <laughs> Well, then I asked them, and then I asked them again, and then of course I don't pay attention the second time. So that's it. I can never <laughs> ask again. And that's it. We're all done here. So, yeah. <laughs> I realise I have a really. I don't know whether this is an odd way of getting names, but I hear a name, and the thing that lodges in my head is the first letter or the shape of the first letter and the shape of the name, so the number of letters in the name. So if someone says it's Sarah, I get this really strong indication of an S shape, and then a five-letter thing but if someone says that their name is linda i may end up confusing her with karen more often than not because of the shape of the first letter and the length of the name and i can't seem to record the whole name i'm my brain has just gone here's a shortcut that seems to work in 95 percent of cases yeah no that's interesting and that's the thing yeah people have different strategies for being able to yeah to remember uh, yeah to be able to remember names and so yours is Sounds a little bit like what you're trying to do is to change the the sound code into some kind of visual code. So I don't mm. know if you would, you know, say that you know you kind of work with visual information more, but yeah, it seems like you're trying to to recode it into various ways. Yeah, and I guess that's what people with prosopagnosia do. They'd be ingesting all this visual inf and oral information and using their own tricks to work out who was who. Yes, but often they wouldn't know as well. So again, our brains are doing these things. It's only when you are, you know, you you're made to think about how do I do it, and then you're kind of like, oh, or not do it, and then you compare it with other people and other people are like yeah no i don't do that <laughs> or, or yeah so it, it may actually be really tiring because without that alert going hey i know this person 
you might be trying to work out if every single person around you is someone that you know. Or yeah. The opposite, yeah. Yeah. And people do the opposite. So I think some of this might be linked to the kind of the person they are. But a great example here is Oliver Sacks. And um, there's a famous portrait painter called Chuck Close. So he actually, both of them have trouble recognizing or had trouble recognizing faces. So Oliver Sacks is a neurologist and Chuck Close is a portrait painter. And he, in fact, paints, if you Google him, paints these amazing, really, really large paintings of, of portraits of people. And he, he didn't know he had prosopagnosia. He didn't know it was a thing. And he said, oh, well, maybe I got into portrait painting because I was so fascinated with faces because I was so bad at it. But there's a really great interview with them and Oliver Sacks is saying, yeah, I can't recognise faces, so I just ignore everyone. I do my own thing. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to talk to people. Mm. And Chuck Close is like, yeah, so I can't recognise faces, so I just say hi to everyone and I smile. <laughs> and, I just, and it's just like, okay then. So, you know, you can have the same kind of difficulty but just deal with it in completely different ways. And that's certainly been the anecdotes that people have, have said, you know, to me. Some people will tell people about it and they're just kind of like, this is what I can't do. You come up with ways to help me. It's not my fault. <laughs> and then other people are just like, I'm really embarrassed about it. I don't want to go to social functions. So really different ways of coping. And again, associated to the person's experience and personalities, no fault of their own, which one they choose, but just really different ways of, of being able to interact with people given these difficulties recognising identity. So how did you end up specialising in this particular condition it's a good question by accident is my answer to most it's, it's the answer to many many of our questions <laughs> kind of got interested in face perception i just kind of learned more about the systems for recognizing faces and i was interested in perception and how our brains work i was working at macquarie university in sydney and one of my students a family had gotten in touch with her and the two children Somebody had, had told the, the mother that they thought the children had autism and the mother thought that they didn't have autism. She said, no, I think they actually just have trouble recognising faces. And the reason I think they have that is because my mum, she can't recognise faces either. And I don't think that they have autism. I think they just have trouble recognising faces. Can you help us? And so we then got, you know, found out more about it, got interested in designing tests, looking at children, finding out what is the difference between autism, where you can have trouble recognising face identity and face expression and other cues? And can you just have trouble with identity? Is it separate from autism? And, and I would say that it is. And so, yeah, that's how we got interested in it and studying more people and trying to find out what it is, what goes wrong, how can we help people? That's fantastic. Now, I have one, I'm going to do a little a quiz with you, Dan, to see if we've learned anything today in this amazing interview. So it's just testing all your knowledge I now. was not ready for that. I was just spending all the time <laughs> thinking up jokes. Yeah, well, I know. I know, Dan. So, Dr. Romina, you'll have to test us on this now. This one, I'm going to ask Dan a question now, and Dan will have to answer. Imagine, Dan, that you have prosopagnosia, and you and I are playing the game Guess Who?, for those who don't know that game, we have the little faces. And you have to... Do you think that would change how well you play Guess Who? I think they'd be amazing at Guess Who. Cause Why? I, because that's the whole game is work, is looking at it and breaking it down into its component bits and going, that person's got yellow hair, that person wears glasses, that person's got a moustache, must be my mother. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Romina, how do you feel about that answer? I feel like Dan would like to read a recent paper where they've actually used Guess Who as oh. a training technique to try and get people to improve people's face recognition. So they've used the Guess Who game as a, as a technique. Oh, there you go. Totally my chance. There you go. But the wow. thing is, I played Guess Who a bunch when I was a kid 
You show me any one of those faces, I could not give you their name. <laughs> Dr. Romina, thank you very much for sharing your amazing knowledge today. Can I just ask one last question, please? What's the one thing that people say about prosopagnosia that you that's wrong, that you want to fix, or something that no one ever asks you about it? The one assumption most people make is that it's about names when it's when it's the stage before. And I've asked people with prosopagnosia, you, you know, having done various interviews and, and sometimes people with prosopagnosia will get interviewed. I ask them what is it that they want people t- to know? And mostly they want people to know that it's not their fault if you can't recognise faces and also that it is on a continuum. So it's not just that people are, you know, really, really horrible or, or okay, that there are some people who are just moderately poor at recognising faces. That's amazing. Once again, Dr. Amina Palermo, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Greg and Dan, for all your interesting questions and your interest in in science. Thank you very much. Thank you very much again to Dr. Romina Palermo. That was amazing. That was so good. That was one of those things I didn't know I wanted to know about. And now I know a lot about, which is great. I just think it's really, really cool that we get to talk to someone about prosopagnosia. Mm. And that was because a listener got in contact and went, hey, Greg and Dan, I like, I want to know about pros- prosopagnosia. Could you find someone to talk about? We went, maybe. And then we did. So if you have something that you want us to ask someone about, let us know and we'll see what we can find for you. Now, I asked whether people with prosopagnosia might not be affected by certain visual illusions. Mm-hmm. Uh, illusions? Visual illusions. Illusions. <laughs> and Dr. Palermo said that she didn't really know of any. And I didn't really know what to ask about specifically. But after the podcast, I was reminded of an illusion called the Thatcher effect. Now, the Thatcher effect is if you take a picture of someone and you get the eyes in the mouth of a person's portrait and flip them upside down, it looks like a ghastly visage. Mm, Like, it's mm. quite obviously horrifying and wrong. Mm -hmm. And it's obvious which one is a normal photo of someone and which one's been the one that's been altered. And weirdly enough, if you flip both pictures upside down, it's really hard to tell the difference between them. Mm. Now, I asked Dr. Palomo about it. She was able to send me a report that indicated that if you put the original next to the hideous Thatcherized version, someone with prosopagnosia can have slightly more trouble working out which is which, whereas it's super obvious to people who don't have prosopagnosia. Interesting. It seems to indicate that it's the configuration of all the parts of the face as a whole which is missing, which is backs up what Dr. Palermo was discussing. Mm. And there's a link to that in the show notes. I also badgered Dr. Palermo because <laughs> I had questions as well. So I, mine were much more simple, though. I was actually intrigued. Could a person with prosopagnosia recognize their own face in the mirror on television or in a picture? <gasps> what a great... And, uh, I mean, and obviously so- a mirror you've got the fact that it changes when yours does? Yes, that, that's, I was just trying to work out, that's, that's why I put all of them down. So the answer from, I'll read out a, a quoting Dr. Palomo, depends on the person. There are cases of people who have difficulty recognizing themselves when they're not expecting to see themselves or an experimental task that we might run where we've removed hair, they just have to focus on the face. But generally, people with prosopagnosia would know it was them. And then my second one, second question, could identical twins prosopagnosia recognize their twin sibling? <gasps> oh, shit, dog. That's a good one. <laughs> so if they could recognize themselves, then they should also be able to recognize their identical twin, according to Dr. Palermo. Although I cannot recall a study that's actually looked into this. There's a PhD for someone. I going to say. It would depend on the severity of their face recognition difficulties. 
By definition, to be prosopagnosic, people need to have severe difficulty recognizing faces. However, some people can recognize very familiar faces, and this would include those of their twin, who they presumably see a lot. The question here is whether they are recognizing them in the same way as other people, but my guess is probably not. And also, they may not recognize them all the time, especially unexpectedly. Dr. Palermo, thank you very much for putting up with us badgering you with questions after the interview. There's also another... Do you remember when we interviewed Dr. Matt Thompson and he talked to us about an experiment where if you stare in the middle of a screen and you flash pictures of celebrities, like rapid strobe, on either side of the dot, that really quickly the faces get really distorted? Mm, mm Mm-hmm. Well, I wonder whether a prosopagnosia sufferer would see the same distortion effect or whether mm. that's always how their brains are trying to... Like, yeah, that yes. would be another interesting experiment. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It's, it's, it's not that they... It's, remember, it's not that they couldn't... They didn't know their faces. They just don't know whose face it belonged to. Well, their face was having trouble sorting the components of the face, and that's kind of the effect mm. that's happening in that one. Mm. Mm, I guess so, yeah. Once again, another PhD right there. Or at least another study that can be done. At least a paper out of that one. We're just handing them out at this point. We just, look, we just, and, and anyone who does this, please just, just put us smart enough to know better. Dan and Greg as co, co-authors, that'd be great. Thanks. Oh, my God. I would love to be on a PhD as a co-author. Oh, just, my just... dad would get so upset. Welcome to the Walk of Shame. In the Walk of Shame, you, the listener, find the mistakes that Greg and I have made and you take us to task for it. I'm assuming there must just be tons of them this time. I'm just, you know, sometimes I get in very cocky. There's no cockiness this time. I'm just like, no, I'm sure it's going to be awful and everyone's going to laugh at me and laugh at me and laugh at me. There's one. Hey! Steve Stewart points to an episode which I haven't noted down, and he says that two minutes and 13 seconds into that arbitrary episode, probably the last one. Probably all of them. Greg says it's about companies like SpaceX and Blue Horizon. And he says Blue Origin, perhaps? Oh, yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine. (laughs) Blue Origin, LLC, is an American privately funded aerospace manufacturer and suborbital spaceflight services company headquartered in Kent, Washington, whereas Blue Horizon is a company in Luxembourg that is pursuing the vision of creating the necessary conditions for enabling sustainable life in space. I was right. You were right, Gregoire. So Steve Stewart, Steve Stewart can wander down that walk of shame all by himself (laughs) because I was right, but for the wrong reason. The mission goals of Blue Horizon are to establish biological infrastructures in the universe, allowing sustainable life for long journeys and stays, e.g. to Mars. Uh So it's great that these private companies are finally doing the things that our governments should have been doing a long time ago. Which and is innocent. wasting a lot of taxpayer money to go up into the into the don't, sky don't, where nothing not is. It's not a waste. It's not a waste. It's not a waste. Stop that. But also look in Australia, like Gilmore. We talked. We we interviewed them on the podcast. Yes. Uh, Gilmore Technologies. So yeah, G I L M O U R. We promote them a lot because they're Australian, not because that we have stocks or shares or connections to them in any way. Just so you know. I'm very sorry. I don't know who wrote this one. I've written everything else, but not their name. But you'll know who you are. You'll be listening. Go. I wrote you that, and you'll have a good feeling. In episode 167, at about 42 minutes, Dan says, not a lot of gravity on mermaids. Um, quote, yes, there is. Actually, the same as the rest of us. You can feel the tipping of the fedora on that one. On the other hand, they have much more buoyancy, and that is a completely different thing. So you were saying that there's 
because you yep, talk about the yep, gravity, yeah, no, no. gravity pulling the pulling the, the mermaid boobs. boobs. Yeah, yep. and how there isn't any gravity pulling mermaid boobs because because they're, uh, they're so pert and they're supported in the medium that they're in. But of course, the medium that they're in and the boobs are both affected, like everything like in the universe yes. that has yes. mass yes. by gravity. That's right, and Very some true. things that don't even. Is that- well, well, yes, well, it's true. Now, I have another one as well. Not really a walk of shame. I just want to read. This is a review from Eloise. I have to read this because it made me laugh uproariously. So, Jeez, you're setting the bar pretty high already. Well, I know. So I finished listening to the last podcast of the left episode dedicated to Arthur Shawcross. And I have to tell you who's a serial killer. And I have to tell you as much as the utterly depraved and disgusting descriptions of what he did were, and I have to say amongst the worst of the serial killers that I've heard about, it does not compare to the utter horrified and creepy weirded out feelings that I have listening to Dan describe starfish sucking thick toothpaste consistent type milk from Ariel's breasts. Well done, Dan. Well done. My work here is done. What is it with women and murder podcasts? Is it is it just me? Is it there's a lot more? No, it, no, it no. Be, it's it's a big a lot of, thing. A lot of women seem to enjoy podcasts about normally men who brutally kill women. I'll tell you why women actually like murder podcasts so much. It's because in murder podcasts they do not talk about the toothpaste like milk that comes <laughs> out of mermaids' breasts and the thick viscous thick, viscous milk Ugh, that is sucked. That, that is munched upon by starfish. Mm, mm. Like, murder podcasts tend not to destroy favourite Disney films. That's true. That's a very good point. Well, thank you, Eloise, for your review. If you have a review for the podcast, send them in. If, if you've been creeped out, weirded out, excited, if you have a review of the podcast, send them in, and I'd like to read them maybe on the podcast, if they're good enough, or I find them funny. Or we just need content. Imagine if our iTunes page was just filled with reviews going, I was massively creeped out by the uh, <laughs> by the weirdly sexual connotations of my favourite Disney films. Five stars. We would get a lot of... Um, Traction? A lot of new, a lot of new, a lot of new uh, listeners. <laughs> a lot of would... new disappointed listeners. Yeah. <laughs> There's an episode of the podcast called Hot Asian Girls from like the first year of the podcast and is still to date the most popular episode because people... I can only assume we're interested in that subject matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. You have been listening to Dan at smartenough.org. Also, Greg at smartenough.org. You could press any of the buttons at smartenough.org. There are subscription buttons and comment buttons and all the buttons that you would associate with any podcast. We love buttons. Also, there are buttons there where you can buy shirts or drop a little bit of money into our PayPal account. Yep. Maybe and help Dan get over this horrible burping problem, it seems. It is. It's too much beer last night. Yeah, it's not good for my system. <laughs> getting old. Yeah, that's not true. It's not me getting old. It's girl clumsy getting old. Yeah. Because she turned 40 and now, yeah. I mean, 28. She turned 20. She celebrated in her 28th last night and I ended up drinking too much beer. It's true. Damn it's that young, fresh-faced... <laughs> <laughs> if you would like to support us on Patreon, and then you say, yeah, yeah, there we go, then you can get along to Patreon. You press the Patreon button and you can give us two bucks a month, and in which case, yep. thanks. That's like um, a dollar. That's like well, no more than a thank. That's amazing. Thank you very much. That's two dollars. That's a dollar an episode. How amazing is that? So thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it's good. You can select a custom amount. Yep. That's great too. Thank you so much. If you give us five bucks or more, we'll yep. 
give you a call out on the podcast. We will. And that's what I'm going to do now. Let's do it. Thank you so much to Morton O'Hare, Andrew Potts, Phil Holland, Gary Heather, Matthew Toy, Granny Maguire, Elizabeth Yunkin, Avi Greenbury, Tuck Frump, Matt Ewers, Grant Roberts, Michael Barnes, Lindsay Jenkinson, Alana Mitchell, and Andrew Whitehurst. You guys are top shelf. I love you all. And girls. Guys and girls. Hey, look, I'm real misogynistic. Like, I was, I just wanted to thank the guys and get past it. Uh, That's not true. I just have language that developed in the 80s and is inherently misogynistic, which is much better. That's a much better defense. So, thanks, guys. (laughs) And finally, there is a top tier. If you pay us 15 bucks a month, for no apparent reason, Dan will just insult you because he's a monster. He's a monster of a man. I don't know why you do this, Dan. Yeah, I guess I must just be a terrible human being. It must just be. That also come from the 80s, Dan? That also come from the 80s? Yeah, checks out. Yeah. Checks out. <laughs> okay, so this month I have done computer coding themed insults. Mm. All right. So, <clears throat> Scott Driscoll. You are too much expanded memory when I only need extended memory. Okay. Oh, that's a that is a nasty insult. If well, you, okay, okay. All if right, you had right. to deal with com- getting computer games running during the yeah. two years where that was at the issue, right? You would just you, the, your blood would already be boiling. I, I, look, I'm there with you. I'm 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 feeling it. I'm, absolutely, Steve Stewart. You truly are an exception. That's that's a bad thing, isn't it? That's like means you're it is in computer right. code. Yes. yes Obviously, yes. a lot of these are probably going to go over your head just yes. because of to yep. me and the right. people in my world. Yes. They're just like, oh, that was that was good. Okay, no, that was good. no, 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 I'm enjoying. It. I'm enjoying. It. I'm learning something. All right. I'm learning. All right. <clears throat> okay. Mikkel Kida, when your parents were given the option to abort, retry, or ignore, they picked the wrong option. Oh, harsh. That's that's they shouldn't have ignored you. I'm so sorry. Dustin Fallon. 0110111000111010110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110110
you're not, that wasn't that you weren't you weren't analogy it was that wasn't a connection between the two people who no what no oh. the, the feeling of joy oh. and relief uh, i see throwing my computers in the bin is the same feeling that i get from al batson and eric wilson so al batson and eric wilson when you throw them in the bin, no, it's not that no, you're. It's not that you're going to get lots of joy. No, it's it's it's. But when but, you're going to get joy from throwing computers in the bin, which is like the joy you get from Al Batson. When Al Batson and Eric Wilson are thrown in the bin, I will do my yes. utmost to recover you from the bin. Right. That, I, look, I'm glad. I'm glad we've worked that out. You yes. are still very useful and valuable to me, Al and Eric. Thank you. You have That's... financial value to me. <laughs> so I'm I'm gonna take you back out of the bin until you no longer have financial value to me. Is that is that, I think that's helping. That's not it, it felt good and then it felt bad. There you go. And as we always like to say Racist Crabs And we are out. You notice Thank how you. she was able to remember our names and distinguish yes. between our voices. I was very impressed by that too. You're very rare, Dr. Romina. Very, very rare. Many people we interview say I had no idea who you were or that either either one of you was a different person. There's two voices, but I couldn't have told you which one's which. Isn't that interesting? Because you do sound distinctively different. So yeah. I think so too. Uh, we have listeners who have been listening to us for years who say they still could not tell us apart by voice. I'm like, what is going on? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think people just find voices more difficult, yeah. Very strange. I think there's an irony to the fact that we got someone on to talk about prosopagnosia and then did Skype without video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit, yeah. Uh, hey, Dan, how are you? Hello. Happy Benevolent Dictator Day. <laughs> Thank you May very much. May your reign... And more importantly, your empathy lasts for a thousand eons. Let, <laughs> let me just say that uh, before the empathy can begin, a lot of purging must happen. No! <laughs> you'll be fine. No, no, you're fine. You're one of the good ones. You're fine. I've already suffered enough. I've done my penance. <laughs> yeah, so today... Uh, thank you, by the way. I appreciate the birthday wishes. That's very kind. <laughs> what? <laughs> that as well. Our goal is that you hear the final result and that if we asked you a second time to come on, your reaction wouldn't be, oh, Lord, no. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a pretty good goal. My father had an accident many years ago. His name was Gregoire. Uh, My father's father's name is Gregoire? No, no, no. He had an accident that was called Gregoire. Oh, I see. See, it was just a jab at your... uh, Okay, thank you. That's good. We have have an important guest on, Dan, please. Sorry. Sorry, I'll be good. (laughs) We have a social media team at our school, so they'll they'll love to publicise these things, so they'll put that out through WA as well. We'll try not to swear too much in the intro and outro (laughs) then. Podcast has a butt ton of women on there. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. A butt ton. No, oh, stop that's it. not going. No, that's no, no. But we, yeah, I, I'm, I'm happy with that. I'm glad that people are recognizing it and also recognizing that we don't recognize it. Does that make sense? <laughs> we're, we're normalizing it. We're normalizing it. Exactly right. Yes, we norm. That's a good way of putting it. It's just, oh, it's a woman. Yay, and that's who we talk to. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's good. And if they're, you know. 70% as entertaining as a man interviewer. So, then, so, what, what is wrong with you? 
I don't know if you're just saying these I, things so you can put them at the end of the podcast because you can't put this at the end of the podcast. I think it's just the fact that it's recording. There's a part of my yeah. brain that's just like, you could f*** it up forever, Dean. Imagine <laughs> if this ever got out. See, that's just... the thing. If, if, if every time I get in front of a mic, I say the most awful stuff, I can't do something that's so much worse that I get cancelled. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way. I'll, um, I was listening to them... The, one of the more recent ones where they're saying talking about what's going to happen with the next bond whether they're going to mm. reboot it and put the mm. put the oh, black, yes. black lady with, bond black lady 007 in there or something and i was yep. like i wonder if they can make like a james bond a verse like a i was thinking maybe like the quarter verse where oh, it's like there's always yeah. q but there's yeah. and there's this constant cycle of double o's going through because that was yep. the thing that I always found fascinating when i was young is that I knew that it was 007, but then there are a couple of references to 003 and 005. And 006 I'm like, and, yeah. yeah, and they almost always sucked yes, much more than they Bond. Died. They're, they're always yeah. dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's in, but that's in Casino Royale because M says, you're too young for the promotion. They were right. And he goes, well, mom, the lifespan of a 00 agent is very low, so you don't have long to live. You won't have to live with that problem for very long. And he's like, oh, actually, yeah, that's very introspective, Bond, but he, he understands. Like, he should die. Yeah, you know what I think they should do? It should just be the double O universe now, and you should have double O seven, but pair always pair them up with another double O agent, and you don't know which one's going to die. <laughs> but one yes. of them's going to die. And so if, how, whatever double O's are, appear in the film, only one of them can survive, and you don't know until the end of the film. It's a bit like Doctor Who, in yeah. that it's constantly <laughs> cycling through actors and to some extent, characters, but the idea is that the double O's are very chaotic and yeah. brilliant. And you get to and... love them. You get to go, oh, I love this 007. She's amazing. And then she lasts for three or four films. Yep. And you, you, and then you really like her. And then she gets killed. And you're like, no! And then you, and so it's like, oh my... And you care about these characters. Mm. And, or and you... you have like the 00 universe where you've got the 007 films, but then the 003 films and the oh, 005 yeah. films. And then you yeah. have James Bond Avengers. I had an idea. I ran an idea, and I, uh, I wanted to call it "Death to Spies." So Smirsh, "Death to Spies," and setting it now. And you never say that it's a Bond thing, and it's based on the idea that James Bond's a code name. And you get the, all the actors who have played James Bond who are still alive. You start off with a young man, and he's like a, a new sexy spy. He's 007, but we can't use that. He's a he's a mi6 agent new one and he gets a message saying we know who you are and we know where and we know where your your um predecessors is and he, you cut to roger moore having a coffee and the young man's like oh no and he like leaps over things and people try and kill him and he's like jumping on a car his big car chase and all the rest and he finally runs into the cafe he's like sir they know about you he goes you fool you've killed us both and the cafe explodes and that's the start of the movie and then it, all the other because you have to get rid of roger moore because he's actually dead like, it's all, <laughs> and, and then you cut to daniel craig sean connery lazenby uh, piers brosnan and timothy dalton and they're like they've they're all called back into service because they're like someone's trying to kill you 007 and it's like god damn it and they have to all these old men are working together to to find out who killed the latest sexiest james bond and they all kind of they get picked off so it's kind of like um working title bond age oh oh i like it yes that's that's yeah yeah that's good yeah i like it so and you can (laughs) you can you can and you can have like sean connery is like very 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 old like he's not just in not just in years but he's just i think he's 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 aged a lot. Yeah. You know what I mean? He like, didn't drink from the cup. 
No, no, he didn't. So, but you, you use them a little bit, and you just pay them all, and you just do them all as cool. And they can all get killed. And they can all have like exciting send offs, and you know, no, I thought it'd be fun. Yeah, that's good. I like that. It'd be a it'd be a fun movie to to play, and then you can pass on. Once again, this is not official, and, and you never call it Bond, and you never you never call them Bond. And everyone, it's a joke where they go, "Oh, are you? Ju-? Don't you say the name? Like we don't. We, we, I'm not allowed. I, we don't own the rights to the name anymore. We can't possibly. My name's Jim. Yeah, Jim Band. <laughs> Jim Band. <laughs> My name's Jemima. <laughs> Uh, Jemima Bent. What's wrong with you? That's fair enough. <laughs> but she said, I can't remember, but did you guys do a previous crypto zoo about mermaids to talk about whether it was possible for them to have dark skin? I'm asking because there's a wanker backlash to the announcement that a person of color has been cast as Ariel in the live action Little Mermaid. And I went, I don't know. I can't remember. I went back. I'm not too sure, but I'd ask you. Yeah, we've... I think we did talk about that, actually. Okay, right. I don't know whether we recorded it, but, yeah. It may have well, she heard up, it. She must have. Yeah, she it may have turned have. up after the credits, but I remember it being discussed on the internet a bit, and someone came up with a really good... I don't know whether this was whether I read this, but I think that I, came, I talked about this in the podcast and said people are saying that it's more. it makes sense for Ariel to have white skin because she's under the ocean and not to have black skin because of the melanin, but if you look at fish... Yeah. And and the, and the information Silly. we did about um the 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 shadow camouflage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. what uh, Ariel should be dark on the back and white yeah. underneath, so yeah, that yeah. she can't be seen by hunters like an from orca. underneath look. and from birds above. Yeah, look at well, hunters. It's it's predators from both sides. So it's yeah, it's she should be she should be definitely black on top and white on the bottom. Like that's how she should. Well, be. on front. She, uh, well, if she swim if she swims horizontally, then it would be. She would be well, not bottom. So yeah, yeah. She, she swims horizontally. Therefore, her white front tits, half, black back, black yeah, butt. That's it. that's it. That's exactly right. That's how she should be. Yeah. That's, and so she should. What's alopecia? Is that alopecia when your when your color is blotchy? You get that color. That... No, that's hair, isn't it? Oh, okay. What's um, it when you? you there is the a thing white... where, you, where it's blotchy, but this is, this wouldn't be blotchy. This is. But it's the same. It's the same thing as in your skin would have to change color. Vitiligo. Vitiligo? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So that's the. So, I think that's the blotches and the patterns. Yeah. So so but so what would it mean though? The mermaids that had vitiligo enough that confused the pattern recognition from predators down the bottom would live longer to make babies, and therefore they would pass on the vitiligo. In the end, they'd be all white on the bottom, plutchy or, or and dark. So they're black people with white blotches. They're not white people with black blotches. No, because if they evolved in the in the water. They wouldn't. They wouldn't. They wouldn't have melanin. But we're assuming that they're people. They're not people. They're they're pangolins. Oh, so, so we're, we're weaving it into our, our narrative. <laughs> of course we are. Um, so it's, 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 they could have dark scales, and therefore they have dark pigment to their skin. They have I, dark hair. I think they they should they should end up looking like sharks with white bellies, yeah. dark tops, or orcas, or orcas, mammals. Let's go with the mammal. They're mammals. Um, Dolphins and, are the same. Dolphins are dark on top and light down the bottom. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a thing. It's, they it's all a, do it. Yeah, it's a predator thing. Because yeah. if you're underneath a dolphin, you're looking at the sky. And if you're above a dolphin, you're looking into the deep ocean. So we're saying then, we're saying it's more likely that they would be a white creature because they had no melanin, but then they would get black vitiligo, blotchiness on top, and that would keep those ones alive. 
from from, from upwards predators. I think basically. I think the vitiligo thing is I don't, I don't know how that works, but it would be more so just the melanin would it would evolve to show on the back. Although I don't I don't I'm assuming that sharks are using melanin, but then if we're going with the pangolin thing, I assume well I don't know pangolins may not have melanin at all because they're all scaly. They must have more melanins. I, yeah, look, it doesn't matter what the process is. What matters yep. is that the effect yeah. would 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 keep them safe if they were dark on the back and yes. bright on the front. That's right, yeah. That makes sense. I worked on New Year's Eve and then went out and then spent all night out and then went back to work without sleeping. Oh, my God. And then I got home. <laughs> Well, by three o'clock in the afternoon the second day, I was hallucinating sharks under the carpet. <laughs> How old were you, though? You must have been a lot younger than you are today. I was 25-ish, 26. Yeah, there you go. That makes a lot more sense. Oh, and, God, I can't no. even make it till four in the afternoon yeah, without needing say, a light morning. now these yeah, days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's so uh, I'm not I'm not that bad, but I or maybe yeah, maybe maybe I've just hit this age. My body's now <laughs> you're now you now get to be mid forty. I think I'm really sick. I'm really sick. In the afternoon I need a bit of a sit down and a cup of tea <laughs> and then I'm in bed by ten thirty and I, I can't stay up until two thirty in the morning playing video games. Yeah, well, it's cool being an up. adult. Yeah, this is growing up, this is bullshit and I don't stand for it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Crap. <laughs>